to the Get Wiser podcast series created for you by the Women in Subsea Engineering Professional Network. WISE is an initiative of Subsea Energy Australia. The WISE Network provides training, mentoring and support to women working in STEM professions. The network is also working towards achieving gender parity within the subsea industry. For more information on WISE or to get involved, visit the Subsea Energy Australia website at www.subseaenergy.org.au WISE or search for the WISE group on LinkedIn. Today's podcast is presented by Serena West and Catherine Creasy of Capital Partners. Serena has worked in financial services for 20 years and is a principal advisor in risk insurance. Catherine is a private client advisor in Capital's private wealth department. This podcast was recorded during a Get Wiser Lunch and Learn workshop. In this workshop, Serena and Catherine speaks about managing cash flow, superannuation, planning from time out of the workforce, protecting yourself from unforeseen events, and they also address questions from the audience on the financial concerns that they have that were keeping them awake at night. We hope that you enjoy the podcast. Absolutely, there's things that you need to do with your super now. 
and now at the age of 42, I'm really, really glad I listened to her because it has made a huge difference. So Catherine will talk about that a little bit further. Um, we need to talk about your risk, and this is my favourite, um, which is why I keep it in the biggest square. Um, <laughs> if something happens to you um, or to people that matter in your life, what are you going to do? So it sounds quite blunt, but at times, you know, I would be getting phone calls from people who have just found out they're really, really ill, someone's passed away, what are we actually going to do with that? So we'll, we'll cover insurance in a little bit more detail later, and we need to know what you're doing with your estate plan. Because there's no point creating a life and accumulating and organising things if we don't know what's actually going to happen, regardless of whether we actually have dependents or not. So I would look at organising all of those sections before we even talk about any investment, before we talk about anything further. Um, similar to, I, I imagine all of the work you guys do, things need to be really, really solid before you start building anything further. So once we've gone through that, this is when it starts getting to investment. So the first tier you look at is regular tax-effective savings. So for a lot of people, that's actually paying down your home not paying out to the banks. And this is basically going to be going up here in terms of potential risk and potential return. So once we've looked after that, we'd start looking at some managed funds. Now managed funds, I'll let Catherine cover off on the investment side of things further, but it's really so that you're not having to actually look at the, the stock market actually got jobs and lives and a million other things to do. So you may not feel comfortable putting your money directly into a, into a market. Above here, you start looking at either direct property or direct shares. So as you can see, it's starting to get riskier because if you buy a property and you need to get some money back, you can't just say, well, I'll just sell two rooms of that house. Like, it doesn't really work that way. You know, it's a, it's a non-divisible asset normally. So that's why it's higher up. And it's normally higher entry costs. You can't buy a property for five grand. Um, but you can start saving with a lot less than that. Then we do what's called gearing. So this is where most people start. So most people originally start borrowing money. So that's a word called borrowing money to invest. So most people start here and do this. But they haven't done any of this, which is what bothers me. That's the part that concerns me. And right up the top here is speculation. So this is essentially for the money that you've earned that you don't really care if you ever see again. So this is your Crown Casino money, or for, um, you know, if someone says, oh, you know, you should put money into this, you go, do I ever need to see this money again? I have to say I work way too hard for my money, so I really put nothing in there. Um, so my, my shape stops. Um, but I feel that this gives us a really simple explanation of what we would start looking at clients more broadly to say, what do we need to do? Um, and make sure that these things are worked out to begin with. So before I hand over to Catherine, are there any key questions on that? Bearing in mind, we will drill into each part. Does it make sense? Yeah, that's why I remember that. I just saw this drawing when I was coming up a little while ago. Um, 
but it, it made a lot of sense to me. And I guess I do So I'm going to start talking about managing your cash flow. And I think that given we're into pitches right now, I'm going to draw something as well. So when you start off, you're here. And along the time flow of your life, you can have a number of different outcomes. We see that there is four, really. Up here, this is you living your ideal life. Everything's going exactly as you wanted it. You've got the cash flow to do what you want to do. You can spend if you need to. You've saved along the way. It's a really good outcome. Here, it's okay. You've made a few sacrifices, but on the whole, things have turned out pretty well for you. And then we've got you down here. This is what we call suboptimal. This is a below-the-line outcome. Things haven't really turned out as you'd hoped. You've had to make a few sacrifices along the way, and it's not the life that you really wanted to live when you started out earning an income here. Now, our last financial outcome is pretty dismal. It's debt, it's not doing what you want to do, and it's working forever, which you might want to do, but you want to be doing by choice rather than by necessity. So what we see is that starting out, you can make a lot of small decisions. You can contribute to superannuation, you can look at your super and make a good decision on the investment option. You can budget, you can save. Everything that you do along the beginning, the first 10 years maybe, it might not show up, you might not know what track you're on. But over time, it's the result of action that will give you an outcome that's above the line here. So in terms of living up here in your ideal one of the things that you're going to need to do is budget. Now, budget is not a dirty word. It doesn't mean that you have to scrimp and save. When I, I must admit, was 27, I was horrified to find out that my 22-year-old sister had a budget and I didn't. Having a budget means that, it doesn't mean that you necessarily are saving for a specific thing. It means that you know what you're spending money on. It means that you know out of your pay what's not negotiable that you need to have to pay for your mortgage, to pay for your water rates, to pay for your electricity. And then what's left over for a discretionary spend. So what then can you save? You want to be paying your future self first. So you want to put money away for those things that are medium to maybe long-term goals. Your medium-term goals might be things like travel or a, a car. Put money away, save out of what might have been discretionary spending so that you can have those, outcome, excuse me, have those outcomes that you want to live this ideal life. Have several bank accounts if you need to. That can help you save. Now, one thing that people don't do quite often is 
negotiate with your bank. If you've got your mortgage rate and it's at the moment something between four and five percent, give them a call. Ask them if they can sharpen the pencil on the rate because quite often you'll get a reduction and that's going to save you money over the longer term. I have a girlfriend who um, a few years ago decided that she wanted a new car. So she went into the Mazda dealership and she spoke to them there, yes you can have a brand new car and yes we can finance it for you. So she bought the car, took out a loan and came to me a couple of years later and said, now someone's told me that if I sell the car now when it's still got a year to go on the new car warranty that I'm going to get much more for the car than in a year's time. So why don't I just sell this car and get a brand new one? Can you just look at my loan contract and see if I can get out of it? So I looked at it. She had given the car dealer $500 to introduce her to a finance broker. Now you can go to any bank and introduce yourself to the bank and get a loan. So she had wasted $500 up front. Her interest rate was about something between 13 and 14% when interest rates for car loans were 8 to 9%. So she's paying 50% more than she needs to. And she couldn't get out of the loan without paying, I think it was a $2,000 break cost. So basically from her not reading the contract, she's got herself a really raw deal that she can't get out of. And as it turned out, if she'd sold the car then, she would have paid off the loan, but there still would have been $2,000 owing. So she wouldn't have had a car and she would have been $2,000 out of pocket. That's not a situation that anyone wants to be in. So my advice to you is read, read what you're doing. If you're not sure about it, ask someone before you sign and take out the money. And the next thing is, on the, um, on the theme of savings, it's the power of compounding. So if you were 20 years old and you put away $100 a month, every month until you turn 40, invest it in something that's really simple, a managed fund that is diversified across the whole world. When you turn 40, you can't contribute to it anymore, so you just leave it invested until you're 60. By the time that you're 60, your investment will be worth about $300,000. Now, if you, at 20, didn't do that, but when you hit 40, you started thinking, geez, I really want to start investing now or I really want to start saving now for my future. So you start putting money away monthly and you have the same goal. You still want the 300 grand by the time you're 60. You have to save five times as much. And at a time when you might have just changed your mortgage to get a better house, you might have young children going to school, your 40s can be the most expensive time of your life. So that's the power of compounding. Start young, give it time to grow. And that brings us on to superannuation. So one of the questions that was asked of us when we first talked about doing this with um, Nikki and Celine was how do you plan for time out of the workforce? So one of the things that you would be thinking about is your superannuation balance. At the moment, you have uh, you get paid your salary, and nine and a half percent of your salary 
goes into superannuation. That's called SG, which is your superannuation guarantee, legislated by the government, your employer has to pay it to you. You can increase that amount by way of salary sacrifice. So if you're planning on taking time out of the workforce, it makes a lot of sense to have been salary sacrificing, again the power of compounding, since you were in your early 20s. So by the time that you decide to take, out, take time out of the workforce, whether that be to have children or to have a sabbatical or to retrain, your superannuation balance is at a level whereby the earnings that it generates are about the same as what your SG would have been and it can continue to grow while you're not working. A really great one, and I'm not sure how many of you are potentially still paying off university help or hex debt, but a great one is once that's paid off, don't take that money in your pay. Get your payroll officer to start putting that away to superannuation. And even just a little bit, like your $100 a month when you're 20, can make a really huge difference to your long-term outcome. The other thing to think about with superannuation is the, the default investment option and also the fees that you're paying. So get your statement out, look at what the fees are, look at how much they are as a percentage of your account balance. And if it's more than 1% and you're not getting any advice with that, you probably could find a better option. So look around, compare it, um, and there's various things that you need to consider in terms of moving around your superannuation, Serena will talk about that, but make sure that you're getting a good deal. Look at the default investment option. Um, if you're young and you know, you can't access your super until you're 60, so if you tend to any, any further away from super accessing your superannuation than 10 years, you should really be thinking about what you're invested in. So um, you'll see on your fund that you've got different options and there'll be things like defensive, balanced, growth, high growth. What that refers to is the split in your fund between what we call growth assets, which are things like shares in companies and property, and defensive assets, which is more your sort of cash, term deposits, government bonds. So defensive assets, they'll give you an income return, but really not much capital growth. It's the growth assets, the shares and property that give you a really high capital, well, give you a much better chance of capital growth. And if you're young, you want a higher proportion of growth assets so that your super can grow. We had the GFC in 2008, and you would all be aware of that. Everyone who was invested then in a well-diversified portfolio has now recovered their um, position from where they were before. So if, if it's you and you're in your 30s, you've got 30 years before you can access your super. If we have another GFC, your superannuation balance has time to recover. So you should be making sure that your investment option is commensurate with where you are in terms of retiring or length of time till retirement. Uh, I'm going to oh, hand over to you for this. Alright, okay. So what I see a lot of is people, they'll come and see me and they'll go, oh it's awesome, I've tidied up all my super funds, I've rolled them all together and it's really common for people to even at times have five or six different super funds and you've moved around a little bit um, and there's often 
at times little bits of insurance cover in those funds. Often you're not asked if you wanted it, often you're just given it. Sometimes those funds default everyone as a smoker so that they pay twice the premium. Um, all sorts of things happen behind. Uh, but if you start rolling all of your funds together before you've actually had a good look at it, it can change what's called your eligible start date. So it's going to go back to the earliest date. And what that will do will change the tax if you were to become totally and permanently disabled. So I had a client sitting in our waiting room, came in to see me, he goes, oh, it's great, I just rolled all my funds together. Oh my God, you've just cost yourself 300000 in tax. How do you feel about that? Luckily, and that's where phones are really dangerous because people can just, you know, move things around. And, and there was a large institution that's just had um, an enforceable undertaking on what they were doing with that sort of thing. So when looking at old super funds, definitely be cautious. Sometimes some of the most precious things in the fund are actually the insurance cover that most people didn't know they had. Um, so it's not uncommon for me in a room this size to find people that are uninsurable, as in that I wouldn't be able to get for. Um, they all look perfect on the outside, but there might be something going on. So if they've got all of these different funds with bits and pieces in them, we want to keep them. So before we do anything moving those, we check and see what your options are. So similar to um, Katie talking about the fire drill for this room, um, that's what I look at with respect to finance and Catherine's comment on the story about the car. Before you enter anything, what are the consequences of doing it? How do I get out of this if I like it, and am I accidentally making my life worse off without planning to? So super isn't just a simple roll them together to save fees. Um, that may end up being what you end up doing, but it needs to be talked about first. Oh, now we're getting into my favourite. Right. <laughs> the excitement, yeah. yeah. Not many people get as excited about their job as I do. Apologies in advance. Um, and when people ask me what you're doing, I'm like, well, I talk to people all day about being dead. It's lovely. Or being really, really sick. Um, <laughs> but it really, really matters. And like I started as what I would call a traditional advisor, working with you know, all of the different things. But I kept coming across situations where tough things happen to people and they need money. And this is a really instant um, way of having that. So I'm thinking most of you in the room would know life insurance, yeah, hands on if you don't, total and permanent disability, so it's a lovely little acronym that we use, TPD, sounds awful. Income protection, probably your biggest gift that you can give yourself, um, and I'm going to talk quite a lot about that in a moment. Trauma, that's not a car crash, trauma is something big to your body, so it's a heart attack, cancer, stroke, make up probably 80% of the claims. Um, as a group, we're actually really high risk for stroke. This would be the demographic, almost of the highest risk for stroke. Everyone's feeling good now. <laughs> Great. Sorry about that. Um, and I also cover people's children. And that would be some of the times where I've been in tears at my desk because people have contacted me saying, you know, my child's now got cancer. I can't go to work. And as I say to our staff members, and I'll be blunt here, um, if your child's got gastro, you stay home. If your child's got cancer, what are you doing? I'm off to go to chemo, mum's going to go to work now. Like, I can say these things because I'm a mum and I get it. Um, so that's something that I talk about with clients and say, what do we need if something big happens? And I don't apologise for the bluntness of these things. Um, 
because I think if I dance around these topics, um, the impact of what it really is is, is a little bit lost. So I'm just going to drill into income protection a little bit further. I'm not sure I've put there. Um, across the room, people relatively familiar with what income protection is? Yeah. Um, now with all of these things, it's really important to be clear as to what your contract is. So I would say in my career, very few clients have read a product disclosure statement. And to be honest, I get that. I understand, why would you? Um, I spend a lot of my time reading product disclosure statements and try to understand who is, how is it going to work. So sometimes older contracts are really good. Um, their definitions are very, very broad, which is fabulous. Um, sometimes older definitions, this will shock you, um, will only pay out on a heart attack if you have open chest surgery. So that's not really common for how heart attacks and things are dealt with now. Um, so it really, really depends what you've got. But when we're talking about your whole financial future, the biggest deal breaker is not having credits into your bank account. So in this room, very few of us could go, yeah, I'm happy I could go a year, two years without a single credit to my bank account. I couldn't, um, which is why I have all of these things. Uh, and I think at times people think, yeah, I've got it somewhere in my super. So uh, a very quick story on that. Um, I was asked to help um, in my program style thing for someone that has group salary continuance. And they think, yeah, that's fine. They have a melanoma in their eye. So it's not a gray area. It's not, oh, I'm having a bad day. That's what I'm going to work. You know, this is serious. She could be dead. Um, it has taken this group scheme nine months to pay her a cent. And when I spoke to them, because I got involved at this point, and they said, oh, yeah, we've just, you know, we've just credited her $900. And I said, mate, I've eaten more than $900 in that time frame. Like, your expenses have gone up, you can't go to work, and there's no money. So these are the sorts of things that are fundamental um, to making sure that Everything else, so when we're looking at Catherine's diagram about being above the line, um, I view my role in our business to always make sure that our clients are above the line in that respect. I always want to make sure that, that money is able to come into their account um, if they're not able to do it themselves. So I probably spend about a day a week on claims, which is why I'm such a cheerful fairy. Um, but it's so, so satisfying. See the absolute impact it is on people. Most people at that time want everyone else to go away, which is completely understandable. Um, and we just manage that between them and the insurers so that they don't have to get so involved. It's their title, and that's probably one of the answers. So we can come back to that for questions after because I know I've just brightened you all. I'm sorry about that. Um, and understand what you need. So everyone in this room will all got different lives, different ages, um, families, support networks, and family history. Um, my, my key piece of advice on your insurances is if you are looking to review them between now and when you actually review them, unless you're sick, don't go to the doctor. Because whatever you find, we will need to declare. So don't go, oh, my girlfriend had this, I'm going to go and get checked out for it. If you don't have symptoms, if you're not feeling sick, don't go. If you are feeling sick and find a lump or something, do go. 
Over to Estate planning. So we are not lawyers, but one thing that we do talk to all of our clients about is their estate planning. Who here has a will? Wow. Do you know, I thought that is not uncommon, that if you ask that in a group of people that there's not many, but my experience with engineers is that you guys are a super organised bunch, so that surprises me. But that makes this even more important, and I would say within a couple of weeks you're all going to have a will. Um, okay, so if you die without a will in WA, um, the West Australian intestacy laws will apply. And they are not as you would expect. So anyone here have children? Yep. And anyone with a spouse? Okay. So you probably think that if you die, your money will go to your spouse and it will be easy. That is not what happens. And I've got my chart here because it's quite complicated in actual fact. So if you die um, and your estate is worth less than $50,000, it's a little bit different, but let's say you might have some insurance, your estate's worth more than 50,000. If you have a spouse and no children, your spouse receives the first $50,000. And the household contents, uh, sorry, and the household contents, and half of the remainder. Everything else goes to your parents and siblings. If you do have children, your spouse receives an upfront sum plus one third, and the other two thirds goes to the children. And if the children are minors, someone needs to manage that money for them, and it can't be your spouse. You don't want that to happen to you if your spouse was to die, and I'm quite sure you don't want it to happen the other way around. And if you die with no spouse and no children, it gets divided between your parents and your siblings. Now, families are complicated, and I know sometimes people have issues with that. So the only way to be really sure is to have a will. Oops, that was that point there. The other thing that you need to be aware of is that wills can be void when you marry and when you divorce. So if your will is made just before you get married, it needs to be made in contemplation of the marriage. You need to um, speak to the marriage in the will so that it's not void when you actually do get married. Similarly, when you get divorced, <laughs> if you get divorced, my apologies, um, I'm sure that everyone's going to have long and happy marriages. If you get divorced, your will will be void, but not until you are divorced. Once you've decided to make a separation with someone, it's really important that you then consider whether you want them to still get your assets, because if intestacy laws apply, they will. The other thing to consider is um, if your estate is actually going to be quite large, there's a lot of estate planning things that can be considered, like testamentary trusts that will give um, efficient tax outcomes and flexibility to the partner or whoever is left with the money that really require you seeing a lawyer to structure a will that way. Um, so I don't think, I think if you're going to have a large estate, getting the will pack from the, um, the chemist or the post office is probably not going to cut it. If your estate's big, you should speak to a lawyer because there are a number of things that can be done that can make things much easier, more flexible and more efficient for your family. Oh, yeah. that note, um, with respect to wills, it's interesting, I rewrote mine last week, um, it was long overdue, 
even though I talk about this sort of stuff all the time, when it's actually you, it's horrible. Like, I was sitting in this meeting thinking, oh, I'm actually going to cry. Like, this is about my life and I don't want to die. Um, but having it done was really useful. Um, the, the length of time between when someone dies to when funds are payable or when an estate gets wrapped up can be a really, really long time. So it's thinking about how, how people cope in that gap um, and what pressure you need to put in your families. So it's, uh, there are ways of managing those things. Um, and I feel a lot better myself now having sorted that out. Um, and whilst it wasn't joyous, um, it's good to uh, get it done. So from that, we've covered a huge amount of all very simple because it's such a, a broad group of people. Key <coughs> questions that people are finding. <laughs> um, so I don't have a will, but I have a joint mortgage with my husband, and something happens to me or him. What happens to my house? So if you have a joint home and it's um, joint tenants then the, the house passes to him, so that will be fine, but he does have then the whole mortgage. If you had um, life insurance and that was being paid to your estate, then he, he wouldn't receive it all. He, it, some of it would go to your parents and siblings, which means that if you had been counting on that, so that if something happened to you that it could pay off the mortgage, that's not going to happen. If you had it being paid to him, then that would be... Yeah, so if you have a will and you specify that your husband receives all of your assets, then things are going to be pretty okay. Wills can be challenged, um, but people have to uh, prove that they were, that they should, basically you have to prove a need. If your parents were in dire straits and they were financially dependent on you, they could potentially successfully challenge the will, I believe. I talked about superannuation and having everything like the, the TPP mm. life insurance, and but you say it's not. What do you guys, you know, mean about that? It's not so good. Is it oh, good? it can be fantastic. Depends um, on the fund. Um, it so it, it opened up a couple of years ago. It used to just be that you got whatever insurance was with that exact fund. Now you can have your individually written insurance, and the insurer looks at me and goes, yes, I will insure Serena, um, and my super fund will pay that insurer. It's previously used to just be the super fund gave you whatever they gave you. So there's quite a, a, a safety net there now that is possible. Um, sometimes with those group schemes, it can take an incredibly long time to pay. Um, I've had at times people wait over a year to get their joint benefits. Whereas there's no dispute that someone passed away, it just takes that long, which is very, very frustrating. Whereas when it's individually underwritten, um, you are the contract with the insurer. So it's quite different in that respect. Is it more expensive? No, interestingly not. Um, it's funny, some, um, and we would always stress test those things, so if someone's getting an awesome deal, we could tick, keep that. Um, a lot of the stuff that's offered online or on net or those awful ads that are on around 9.30 in the morning, um, there are times often about 30% more expensive and they will underwrite your claim time. So we're going to tell them, oh, if we knew that, we wouldn't have given it to you. Sorry, here's your premium back for you, but we're not going to pay out. So then I just wrote a 
but you, we always get the new stuff issued first before we cancel. Um, because sometimes there's little things that pop up medically that we can go, yeah, okay, and the insurance can go, yeah, very much. Um, they're pretty strict. What about consumer service? What, what are your thoughts on that? In terms of the insurance or the um, actual so freestyle wise and life insurance? Because I know there's no life insurance on the SMS app, you have to get it yourself. Yep. Uh, each, it's an obligation of a super fund like that to consider insurance. Um, so they're penalised if they haven't documented in there what their what their thoughts are on that. Lots of people who have SMSFs might not need insurance at all. Yeah. At all, grant. Um, in my career, I've seen a handful of people that don't need it. Yeah. Most people still do. Um, Self-managed super funds, um, from an investment perspective, can be fantastic for the right people. Is obligations from being a trustee if you choose to be a trustee yourself. Yeah. Um, and it generally needs to get to a size where it's cost effective. Yeah. So not on balances below things now. It's a yeah. You've got to set it up, you've got to have an order to need to be compliant. Um, and non compliance is, um, you know, the ATO doesn't think it's very funny. Self managed super funds is an interesting one. The number one, well, the, the most, um, uh, the number one asset class, I suppose, for self-managed super funds is cash. So people decide they can do it better, they set up a self-managed super fund and then they hold cash. And we, I've seen a number that have a million dollars in cash. And, you know, we talked about the power of compounding. These people think they can do it and then they're not quite sure, they don't want to jump in. I think if you're going to have a self-managed super fund, you need to know what you're doing and you need to be dedicated to it and you have to be good at record keeping because these things get audited and sometimes they can be a real mess and it can be really costly for you. Self-managed super funds are great if you own a business and you want to put your commercial property into the super fund or something like that. There's, yeah, there's definitely uses for them. If you're just going to be investing in managed funds and it's sort of fairly vanilla, Probably not necessary. So I Plus, you can actually get the fle the flexibility that a lot of people look for in a self managed super fund. You can actually get through various other products. Like I know personally, I actually do have a bit of say over the investments in my fund, but it's not self managed, so I don't have the um, regulatory obligation, I don't have to do get someone to do the accounting or auditing, someone else does all that. There are rules, but I can still have a bit of choice. Yeah. Any good question for me? How valid is an SMSFP from a non-Australian Depends on where your assets are. Okay, from Australian assets? Australian assets, yeah, Australia. So um, you can, there's a number of countries that are party to a, a is it mutual? No, it's not a mutual wills. It's a um, basically an agreement across a number of countries that you can have one will that's valid. In it depends on so it depends on what um, countries that you might have other assets in. Um, but if you have Australian assets, then as and I'm not a lawyer, yeah. um, so but as far as I know, an Australian will is adequate to cover those. Yeah. Just that question on the testamentary Yeah. Do you have the 
you can redo your will whenever you want. So I already have my pension contribution cards. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just, but so far I've been just sitting there and not yeah. touching it. Is, 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 do you have to do like normal trust that you have to do this regularly or is it just only to Well, the, the testamentary trust doesn't commence until you die. Okay. And so it's effectively allowed for in your will. They're saying if I was to die, my assets go into that trust and that's the date the trust begins. really important to bring out your will every now and again look at it make sure it's still relevant make sure if you've got people who are going to look after your kids that they're still the people that you want to have look after your children your beneficiaries haven't changed and if you're in doubt and it's been a long time go and see a lawyer and have them look over it I don't think that would be very expensive and it gives you the peace of mind that everything is still as you want it to be is still relevant then things like that don't matter name changes address changes if they're in a will that's okay biggest thing with any of this stuff is actually being clear what you actually have so you would never work on any project and work okay, that's about right you just wouldn't um, so with this stuff it's the same sort of thing I saw someone recently um, and they got divorced they had a self-managed super fund their advisors kind of closed it moved it husband and wife don't like each other anymore but all the insurance was left owned by the fund, but they closed the fund. The fund doesn't legally exist anymore. So what do you think would happen if he died? Where would they pay the money? Because no one owns it. They paid to the government. So the $4 million of life insurance would get paid to the government. And then his three dependent children would have to argue to get that back. So it's just stupid stuff like that. It was a completely unintended consequence of an administrative thing. You know, well, lucky we picked that up and, and fix it. Um, because if no one wants to pay that extra for the sake of it. So it's, it's basic housekeeping. The last thing that I wanted to say is we've put these books in front of you. Um, 
Now, they were written by our managing director. His name's David Andrew. He's been working... This is his life's work. Um, we work for a firm called Capital Partners, and we've... Uh, well, we think we're the best financial planning firm in Perth. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this basically speaks to our philosophy, which is sort of your set for yourself your goals, find out, determine where you want to go and then make the plan that suits that. Um, so we'd love you to have those and have a read and if you ever want to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you. <laughs> Thanks everyone. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and learned a little something new. This audio recording is a copyright of the Women in Subsea Engineering Network. This podcast has been funded by the Women in STEM grant received from the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science of the Australian Government. Thank you. Yeah.